What's the cost? Anytime I hear that question, I can't help but think back to my time that I've spent in Guatemala. Over the years, I've had several opportunities to go and serve in Guatemala, and through that, I've been able to develop some great friendships. Every time I go, at the end of my trip, my Guatemalan friends love to take me to the markets in Guatemala City in an Antigua. Essentially, these are blocks and blocks of different merchants selling different locally made goods. So you might have food or fruits or bracelets or different art pieces. They've got cigar vendors. They've got anything that you could think of uh, that might be in a Guatemalan street market. They've got. It's a touristy thing, I'll admit, but... The Guatemalans, they love to send the American gringo in to see if he can survive. Luckily, though, you only really need to know one phrase to get by, and it's this one. Cuanto cuesta? What's the cost? So you might walk into a booth and pick up a handful of bracelets and uh, signal over at the vendor and say, Señor, cuanto cuesta? And she might respond, Para diez es cinco quetzales. So, if you know just minimal Spanish, you can generally get by. But I remember walking into one of the storefronts and seeing these beautiful icons and figures of Jesus everywhere in the shop. One in particular caught my eye. So, I walked over and I picked up painting. And I turned to the merchant and I asked, ¿Cuánto cuesta? And the merchant replied, Cuesta todo. It cost everything. Maybe she was being a little bit coy or funny with me. Of course, being the American gringo, she probably didn't think I would understand much of what she was saying, but that response always stuck with me. What's the cost of following Jesus? Cuesta todo. It cost everything. We live in an age today where every single decision we make comes with options. When we stroll down the aisles of the grocery store, you can pick and choose what type of coffee you want or what brand of cheddar cheese you're going to decide to throw in the shopping cart. If you've got a Netflix subscription, you're probably not tuning in on Wednesday night to watch the newest episode of Modern Family because now you can jump from TV show to TV show and episode to episode, even season to season and curate whatever kind of hodgepodge of TV watching you want. Gone are the days of having to listen to the radio to find new music. Now with Spotify, you can listen to any artist on the planet, and even curate your own individual playlist. This is a cultural phenomenon in the modern day, and this mindset has bled into how we treat Jesus. We look at Jesus as a good teacher among other good teachers. And so we'll take a little bit of Jesus and we'll sprinkle in a little bit of this other religious figure, that religious figure, this philosophical icon, to create our own personalized and individualistic version of Christianity. 
But the thing about Jesus is that he cannot operate in this framework because the central point of the gospel is that Jesus is it. He is everything. Jesus says that he is the beginning and the end. This means that for him, a full and total decision has to be made. And I know this isn't a popular notion today. In fact, for many of us, it's not entirely clear or obvious what a demand like this even entails. We don't operate very well in absolutes because we live in a world of options. Nearly everything today lives within some sort of nuanced gray area. So I get that it sounds extreme, and I get that it, it sounds radical. But Jesus himself says, you're either with me or you're against me. That's the hard truth of Christianity, that it's not a place to be half in and half out. When it comes to Jesus, you cannot be neutral. But what does this even mean? We hear phrases like this all the time if you've grown up in Christian circles. But have you ever stopped and considered what it actually means to have Christ as the most important part of your life? It might look a little differently than you assume. I don't think it's just forcing yourself to take on another morning devotional. I don't think it's volunteering at 800 different church events, though both of those things are great. While it could be both of those, it could also be daring to face your own life in a deeply personal way, even and especially if that's hard to face. Of course, Little daily things can be extremely helpful for spiritual growth. But standing in front of the mirror, being honest with yourself, and how you live your life, and what your thoughts are like, and how you treat others is just as much of a Christian act. And honestly, that's probably where most of us should be thinking about when it comes to starting out and trying to grow. So that's what we're talking about today, friends. What's the cost when Jesus is everything? Our scripture today comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him this iconic response. Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But the man responded, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but 
first let me go back and say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. <sighs> okay, there's a lot to unpack here. But this message gives us a nerve-wracking truth. That when Jesus is the center of your life, all worldly goods take a back seat. The heart of Jesus' message here is that he is everything. He's the one for which a total decision has to be made. You can't be neutral. Now, somehow the most pleasant part of this whole discourse is when Jesus warns them that the cost of following him means giving up worldly comfort. Even Jesus, God in human form, has no place to lay his head. Following Jesus to the disciples often meant leaving everything for homelessness and uncertainty. For us here in Highland Park, this likely won't mean a vow of homelessness, but it will definitely mean giving up worldly comforts. When you choose to follow Jesus, you're choosing to live differently. To follow Jesus means living different. To one man, Jesus simply says, follow me. And the man responds, Lord, yes, but let me go and bury my father first. As reasonable as this is to ask today, it was even more so in the first century. Of course you should be allowed to go back and conduct a funeral for your father. What could be more important to a family-centered culture like ancient Israel? This passage can come off really abrasive, but there's a little bit more going on than our face value reading might suggest. Plenty of, plenty of scholars have argued that, in fact, the man's father is not dead at all but that instead he's using this as an excuse. He's saying, my father's dying. Let me go back and watch after him for a month or two until he dies. And then when he does, I'll get my inheritance. And once everything's in check, once I've gotten a little bit more money in my pocket, then I'll follow you. He completely misses the urgency of following Jesus. The same way we might today say, oh, well, once I find part of the Bible that really interests me, then I'll stick to reading it daily. Or, oh, well, when I have a deep spiritual moment in worship, then I'll get passionate about my faith again. But, friends, that's not how Jesus works. He's not waiting for the ideal situation or the ideal feeling. He isn't looking for, yes, Lord, but... He's just looking for yes, Lord. So, are you willing to pay the cost of following Jesus? Are you willing to go into a room and instead of running straight to your friends, 
to look around the room and see if there's someone who's alone. Going out of your comfort zone to make them feel seen, to make them feel included. It's sacrificing 20 minutes in the morning where you would usually scroll through Instagram or TikTok and giving that time to reading your Bible. It's standing up to the people who are being gossiped about, even if it's your friends who are doing the gossiping. It means getting out of your comfort zone and risking being judged, or even feeling a little bit awkward in worship to really respond to what God's doing in your life. It's this and even more that what seeking the kingdom of God really costs. Seeking the kingdom of God is stepping into a life where everything is given to God. This is a deeply personal thing. For the early disciples, like we said, it meant homelessness and uncertainty. For the early church fathers, it meant literally laying down your life for the gospel. For you, it could be something as simple as limiting your screen time to spend more time with God. And the wonderful thing is that all three of those things are legitimate expressions of people trying to follow God fully. Over the next few weeks, we're going to spend more time talking about what exactly it means to seek the kingdom of God. But for today, let me promise you this. It's worth it. That what you find is worth it. That what you find can change your life. So as we start a new year, as we start a new semester, stop and ask yourself, what would it look like if you took this time in your life to get serious and to go all in with your faith? What would it change? And what would it cost?